Hello, I'm delighted you can join me on Search for Truth, your Bible study program with your teacher Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. In the last two weeks, you may remember if you've been following this series, that we focused on specialist words used in Christian dialogue, which may or may not be meaningful to the non-Christian. Sometimes even a Christian might be unsure. We've looked previously at what is salvation and what is grace. This time Brian is going to take a close look at faith and what it means in the Christian perspective. So Brian, what is faith and which Bible verses help in understanding? Right, I'm going to take you back to the key verses in our study, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And in our study of the key words in that selected text, we come to the indispensable word, faith. The reason I described it in that way comes from a verse in the Bible book of Hebrews, which says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This raises the basic issue of what faith is. I suggest that before we deal with its occurrence in our text, we need to tackle what for some is the generally troublesome matter of faith. We live in a cynical world and at a sceptical time, where people are very likely to ask, what can you believe anymore? Others are envious of the faith of Christian believers. Still others say such gullibility as they see it is not for them. One response I recently got when pointing to Christian themes was, People, it's the 21st century. Why do some people believe in God, but others find it impossible? Atheists, of course, profess to not believing in God. Some would go so far as to rubbish the whole idea of faith, perhaps adding that not only is this the 21st century, but it's a proper scientific age in which we've come of age and no longer need medieval superstitions. Little do they know of the workings of modern science. Scientists are working on building a so-called theory of everything. To achieve such a breathtaking end, brilliant scientists are willing to suspend judgment and believe seemingly impossible things, such as unimaginably tiny strings vibrating in the crumpled folds of unimaginably tiny dimensions. At this point in time, it all rests on faith and things unseen. Some other atheists, more modestly, say they simply acknowledge one less God than theists. If believers understood why they reject Zeus, the argument goes, they would understand why atheists reject their God too. Sounds reasonable, at first perhaps, but little do they know that whereas Zeus and his associates held sway at the popular level, Aristotle defended a God who was unchanging, immaterial, all-powerful, omniscient and indivisible, a God who possessed perfect goodness and necessary existence. It remains the case that adherents of many, if not most religions, acknowledge a being who is the ground of all being. The Bible effectively defines God as the great someone who calls into being that which does not exist. Romans 4 verse 17. Every other entity finds the reason for its existence in God. Derisory talk of spaghetti monsters and teapots in orbit are not in the same league at all. All such material objects would stand in need of explanation even if they really did exist, since they do not exist necessarily necessarily 
but God is necessary. Otherwise, if there was once nothing, there would still be nothing now. Something that doesn't exist cannot create itself. Something can't both exist to do the creating and also not exist so as to become created at the same time. When Mark Twain wrote about faith, I believe he said something along the lines of it being believing in something that ain't so. That is, believing in something that's not true. That's not at all what the Bible means by faith. That's a wrong idea that's been made popular by those who are passionate about sharing their atheism with us. Faith isn't a denial of fact, nor is it opposed to reason. It's entirely compatible with it. That's true of faith in ultimate things, as well as the kind of faith we all routinely place in mundane things. I recall a debate with an atheist who refused to acknowledge faith as a daily reality. He was asked, do you trust your wife? He said he did. Well, surely he did, because there was evidence to support that. And I hope we have shared enough to show that belief in the existence of a creator God who has communicated with us in human language is something that stands up to reasonable investigation. It's not a pure flight of fancy, far less a deliberate decision to affirm something false. No one should be advocating doing that about anything. Now, one of the primary teachings of the Creator's communication in the Bible is something we can find plenty of hard empirical evidence for, and that's the fact that we are no longer as we once were, but we've fallen from our original God-given human dignity. Just pick up a newspaper and see the evidence for that. We are a fallen creature. And that brings us right back on track regarding the faith that saves us in the text that we're studying. Allow me to remind you again of the text for this series of studies, the one that comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In our past studies, we've already defined the salvation here as being salvation from God's final judgment, that is, the punishment our sins deserve. We've also checked out the way God's salvation is made available to us, and that's by God's grace, being his favour towards us. In other words, something we haven't merited. Now we come to this third key word, the word faith. One Bible writer, James, dismisses so-called faith that in reality is just all talk and no action. Faith, in order for it to be saving faith, has to be real, he says. It must be genuine and not only a professed faith. In that latter category might be someone who, when asked, lists their religious affiliation, but then adds that they never take any notice of it. The Apostle James was agreeing, of course, with what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers. We can easily combine their teachings in a totally consistent way. In summary, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is not alone. It's not alone in the sense that it will be accompanied by actions that are faith-based. Works are the evidence of faith, but it's not the evidence that saves us, but faith alone that saves us. By the way, that's an example of how the lazy allegation that the Bible is full of contradictions can easily be answered. It's normally just a smokescreen people try to hide behind. 
But the point is well made that the Christian hope of forgiveness isn't secured by being able to recite facts or simply by being in possession of factual information about the Jesus of history who's the founder of Christianity. And yes, corroborating factual information is available from at least five sources outside the Bible so that our faith in Jesus is firmly rooted in fact. To be told something and to possess that knowledge is not enough. Even when we assent to it, fully agreeing that it's correct information, we're not going far enough. These are necessary steps, for sure, but there's got to be personal commitment of the kind that makes us act on the knowledge we've given our intellectual agreement to. To take a practical example, let me relate it to something I've lately been doing rather a lot of, and that is flying. As a young boy, I became aware of the existence of aeroplanes, although for a time I was much more interested in cars and trains, in the way that most children are, boys at any rate. Then at senior or high school, I was taught the principle behind the shaping of the aircraft wings that enables these enormously heavy aircraft to maintain lift and so to stay up in the sky. Demonstrations using models convinced me to accept that it works. But it's another thing to step on board, isn't it? Some people just have a fear of flying. Safety records of past flights and scientific explanations of how it's possible are simply not enough. More is needed. And that's a step of faith, to entrust yourself to all the engineering know-how and to the skill of the crew and then to finally step on board. Faith without faith-based actions is a dead, useless thing that can't save us in the ultimate sense. Now, some folks worry because their faith is weak or small, even if it's genuine. Let me reassure you that it's what you put your faith in that counts. Some friends of mine have done parachute jumps for charity. To jump out of an aircraft takes more faith than to step on board in the first place, wouldn't you agree? Let's just use our imagination for a second. Say you were invited to do one of those charity jumps and you got to choose your own parachute. And there were three to choose from. To the first, a label was attached that said, prepared by volunteers from a local school. The second parachute also came with a notice that read, this parachute didn't work properly last time, but we think it should be better next time. And the third declared, new parachute, packed by experts and quality controlled. Which would you entrust your life to? It's a no-brainer, I'd suggest. The point is, of course, that it's what we place our faith in that makes the vital difference. Finally, to our text once more, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's faith on our part that secures our God-given salvation. John Payton was a missionary to the New Hebrides, and one of his first tasks was to provide a translation of the Bible into the language of the people he was working among. The equivalent word for faith in their language eluded him for a while, there didn't seem to be a single word that fitted the meaning exactly. He leaned back in his chair and at one point with his feet lifted off the ground when one of his local helpers suddenly said, that's it. That pictures what we understand by faith. It means to lean your whole weight on something and obviously to be confident of avoiding a collapse. I want to sign off from this study shared with you by gently challenging you, if I may, 
If you've put your full weight of confidence in God's Son, Jesus Christ, trusting in Him and in Him alone for your eternal salvation, even the forgiveness of your sins before a holy God, Jesus left heaven and came among us and gave himself to die on the cross to fulfill God's plan to make salvation available to us free of cost. Will you believe and receive Christ and enter into a relationship with God the Creator? So once again, I remind you that there's a free book, a digital e-book or a paper copy if you specifically request one, which can be yours if you write in. If you like a copy, just ask for 60 Minutes to Raise the Dead. And here's our postal address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY, UK. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134, Australia. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 70115, Chilomany, Blantyre, Malawi. And our email address, that's sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, time's almost gone, except to say thank you again. It's been great to enjoy the privilege of your company. And I look forward to you joining me again next week when we'll be taking a look at what is meant by works. The scripture reference to this will again be Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9 if you want to look it up. Until then, it's bye for now. Very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. See you again soon and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. <laughs>